This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. What music have you turned to during hard times? We asked you that question, and here's what Lila had to say. One album that I always return to when I'm experiencing heartbreak or hard times is Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. I feel like she really just gets it. Her music will energize you, but it is also so cathartic and angry and fierce sometimes. But also it is encouraging. And I feel like the equal part encouragement and screaming like, screw you. really has helped me get through the hardest of times. Lila, thanks for that message. That catharsis is the driving force behind Dessa's newest album, Bury the Lead. The rapper, singer, writer, and podcast host has been in the game for a while. Dessa came up as part of the Minneapolis rap collective Doomtree, which she joined in 2005. She was featured in 2016's chart-topping Hamilton mixtape, and she's collaborated with the Minnesota Orchestra on a number of performances and even a live album. She's the author of My Own Devices, True Stories from the Road on Music, Science, and Senseless love and host of the podcast Deeply Human. She's also a fill-in NPR host. You may have heard her guest hosting 1A. But like many of us, the last few years weren't easy for Dessa. And her new album, including the pop forward Chopper, is her way of reckoning with and dancing away those feelings. After the break, Dessa joins us from our studio in D.C. to talk about her new album, Bury the Lead. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more after this short break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Let's get into the conversation and welcome Dessa. Again, her new album is Bury the Lead. Dessa, it's so great to have you back. I wish I was in the room with you. <laughs> I'm sitting in your usual chair, and I was really excited to sit across the desk from you. It's nice to see you on screen. I'll bury the Lead is your first album in five years, but you were making music in the time between albums. How, how did this album evolve? How did it come to be? Yeah, you know, so I've been making music pretty steadily. The industry is real careful about what constitutes an LP and what's just a series of songs. And to be honest, I am less worried about that. You know what I mean? Those are, I think, more concerns of like retail than they are music making. But during the pandemic, for me, I was really eager to release songs singly regularly so that it felt like there was something to look forward to every month. And then after the pandemic restrictions started to lift, it was time to, you know, like push up my glasses and take out the good pen and work on a proper LP. So this one for me, I think, is very much informed by that time. And there is like a a hedonism that 
I think is forwarded in a lot of the lyrics that is a response to this constant deluge of existential threat that it's really easy to be swept away in when you and I listen to other people like you and me. (laughs) You know, there's, there's a lot of bad news. It's urgent. It's important. And there also has to be time for like a Friday night with the news off. That's what makes the whole project worth, you know, worth saving, right? Yeah. So. You, you said during the pandemic you dropped an album about once a month so that there would be something to look forward to. Was it something for your fans to look forward to or was it something for you to look forward to? <laughs> The grammarian identifies the ambiguity in the previous <laughs> sentence very aptly. Both. Yeah, I mean, I was I was dropping a song every month, and I think when that idea occurred to me, it was definitely like, hey, you know what would be good for listeners who dig this kind of stuff? But as is maybe often the case, I had sort of blurred the lines between what would be good for, like, the art and the artist and the art community. It felt good to be excited and in a regular, at regular interval, because there was a lot of reason at that point to feel anxious constantly <laughs> at an unrelenting yeah. interval. Yeah. This is the first album that really leans into your pop sensibilities. What influenced that decision? I almost feel like it's less venturing into pop territory new than it was releasing an inhibitory like um, impulse from before because I think for a lot of time like for a long time if you were into indie rap for example mm-hmm. pop was kind of a bad, bad word none of us listened to it except for privately we all listened to it secretly <laughs> 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 but you know I came up in like the the backpack rap world where there was understandably kind of a strain of of like the purists really held the fore. And for good reason. I think that's true for a lot of new genres. But like a strong melody delivered over, an, you know, an, some infectious production, like there's a lot to like in pop. And I think what has kept me from leaning into that before was maybe a little bit of that kind of genre culture. Mm. But also I think the conventions of pop could use some expansion. Like, we tend to presume that it plays to the lowest common denominator. I don't think that has to be true. I think you can still have smart lyrics and a driving beat, and no one is hurt by an intelligent metaphor. Like, there's really no reason to scrub all those off the wall of the dance club, you know? I have to ask you, what was on your secret playlist when you would, you know, be in your car or, like, in your room, like, I'm going to turn the volume down so nobody yes. hears this? What were you playing okay, on so, your pop playlist? So we used to call it the shy pod, you know, and it was the kind of the playlist you didn't want anybody else to find. But I, I have loved Swedish pop for a long time. And that's kind of in vogue now. But, you know, right. Robin, since I was, like, a teenager uh, after that, Tovlo. But a lot of, like, you know... Cheat like Whitney Houston, like Cher even. I mean, I liked 80s, 90s, and 2000 pop. I thought it was great. Like Go West, King of Wishful Thinking was one of the first songs when I was a really little kid that made me want to try to like bang it out on a piano. Yeah. I'm, you, you mentioned the music industry and its attachment to you know, what constitutes a, an EP or an LP, blah, blah, blah. When you think about genres mm. and... And gender, is there less flexibility as a woman artist to to dance around the edges of 
how you define your music? I'm doing a big halftime complicated one eyebrow up nod <laughs> because I do I do think that the answer itself is complicated. On one hand, I want to be mindful that yes, I will cop to the fact that I'm a little bit salty about some of the industry expectations. On the mm-hmm. other hand, I'm an indie artist who's who's making a living and that's saying something and I I'm grateful for it. We should acknowledge that Taylor Swift, who's like crushing the NFL viewership numbers at the moment because of her current <laughs> bow, like she's done a phenomenal job of being able to maneuver just like not signaling a lane change, just eight lanes of traffic, right. and she's a different genre. And she's doing it well. So I don't want to say it's impossible, but I, I do think that I'm a little bit more aware like of the gender issue. Sometimes when I have written songs that do lean a little bit more melancholy, you're your listener, Lily, noted uh, Jagged Little Pill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think sometimes we do hear a sensitive song in a male voice and go, yo, everybody lean in. This is an important moment of vulnerability. And then when we hear a sensitive <laughs> song in a female voice, it's like, you would. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm yeah. mindful of that that expectation in myself and others. I don't want to presume that I'm immune from some of this, you know, cultural sauce. Yeah. So, So setting aside... The, the cultural sauce, musically, what is it like for you to move between genres? Okay, so I think part of it does have to do with expectation management in the audience, which is to say, I get it. If you if you just had a really bad breakup, you want to press play on that song that has that kind of invigorating, like that caffeinated melancholy you know, and so if people are expecting that from me when they hit play and hear something else, I want to brace and prime. But at the same time, I think most of us listen to a pretty wide range of stuff now. And on this record, there are some like slow motion heartbreak, you know, that would happen at, at, in kind of sepia tones in my imagination. But there's also some responses, I think, to the challenging past few years that are like, there has to be room for the hurricane party, you know, to to yeah. even, yeah, like even as the storm is blowing over to like get your people in a room, open all the bottles, turn up the music and stay up later than you should. Well, let's hear some of that single hurricane party. Looks like someone leaked the password. Too much tea to clean up. Great disaster. Campaign manager comes, walks it backwards, but he's the one who tipped TV. Clever bastard. Shots fired in the echo chamber. The other side puts kids in danger. Don't matter what they're arguing, that's what they always say. Front of the parade, girl spins a baton. And lead it conducts with the corn and the cob. The new sound gets everybody out on the lawn. Composed for French horn, cash register mom. Cause it's a hurricane, a hurricane party. And days when I listen to Hurricane Party and I listen to it next to some of the other tracks, which we'll hear throughout the hour, it's fascinating to me how you use your voice. Because in Hurricane Party, there's this, um, the only way I can I can really describe it is almost like this vocal drag. Like you're kind of like, uh, like pulling it, right? Is it like the, uh, like the vocal fry? Is that what it's, 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 no, it's, it's not, not quite vocal fry. It's, like, it's short of vocal fry, but there's like this almost guttural element to your voice. But then on some of the other tracks, it's very high and light. What did you learn about your voice when you made this album? 
I'm going to try to ask a question of you because you're a voice person. And if this doesn't work, give me a secret sure, sure. Sand, hand signal to abandon it. <laughs> okay. This is how I sometimes think about vocalization, whether it's spoken, but more often singing, is like some of the product coming out of my mouth. There's like a titration, a ratio of air to mm-hmm. sound. So it's like signal to noise. So, uh, you know, that's not very musical, but you can hear that. Uh, there's a lot of breath in that. There's a little bit of, of signal. And then that's still kind of breathy. And then you can go all the way to, you know, to soprano who's warmed up. And it feels like there's no air escaping that doesn't have singing on it. It's just entirely a musical signal. Do you think about that kind of thing when you speak on air? Oh, wow. Like, even, I... that, even what you just did in there, right? Oh, wow. There's so much <laughs> air in that, right? Yeah. I don't think about air so much as I think about, about tone. But if I drill down, air is probably a part of the tonal quality I'm reaching for. I think so, too. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. And so I think, like, on a low register, particularly... Well, I'll just say for, for the voice I have, which is a woman's voice, like... It's, e- it's easier to achieve some of those low tones if it's a breathier thing. And then as you kind of move up the register, you can kind of hear that the air becomes eliminated, you know? Yeah. And now it's kind of even more nasal, and we're up here, and there's less air entirely. And so I think being mindful of that in range and delivery on the record was, like, trying to figure out how to move in to that science. Were you aware of that flexibility in your voice when you were working in in other genres or did you Mm. hit a new learning curve when you moved more into this, this pop space? Okay. So there's this, there's this, um, Swedish. So the Swedes are like, it's, it's like Ireland with poetry, um, you know, or, or South African choir music. It just, it feels like one out of every four Swedes is an award winning global star as far as (laughs) pop music, you know? And so, so there is this artist named Tovlo. I was listening to her yeah. stuff. You do okay? Do you know her stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I dig it. I, I like her voice. It's cool. And I was kind of playing out some of it on the piano, uncertain of where the magic was because it's some of the melodies are pretty simple. The production is. I dig it, but it's not like it doesn't break your console to create. You know, it's right. pop stuff and. I realized that she was moving her choruses into the part of her vocal range that she had to strain to hit. So you can hear the kind of emotional urgency really deliberately because of where she's placing her choruses. And I thought, yo, should I be moving all of the my 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 hooks into that kind of like, oh, I got to get their reaching range because you can hear that just as a mammal, right? Yeah, when somebody's yeah. reaching for something they're not sure they can do, you can feel that stress and that strain and that urgency. And it had never occurred to me to maybe be quite as deliberate about that uh, musically. We're talking to rapper, singer, and writer Dessa. She's also been a guest host on 1A. Still to come, how do you make pop music for the end of the world? And what's next for an artist who's tried it all? We'll be back with that answer in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. 
Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday. Let's get back to Dessa and turn now to What If I'm Not Ready from her new album. On the phone with a friend, says, worry where you're going, don't worry where you've been. Sounds like he's reaching out of hand. Are you reaching back to him? Maybe you're too attached to your freedom. Truth is you don't let anybody in because you don't like them leaving. My pride is my problem. I know that's right, but that don't solve it. This song is is emotional, it's reflective, and then you've got this poppy, dancey beat that might fool people if they aren't listening closely to the lyrics. How did your work as a rapper inform mm. the way you played with lyrics against melody? Yeah, I think for me, unusual pairings between the content of a song and the kind of sonic quality, if you just hear a snip of the melody or the production, uh, shout out to Laserbeak on that beat, playing with a little bit of conflict between those two helps me ride the line between dramatic and melodramatic. Because I think the last thing, I, I, I do, I think I have a special allergy to like maudlinism. Is that the uh-huh. noun? Is maudlinism, is that the noun? Up to well, sure. For the purposes, <laughs> for the purposes of, this of this conversation. We'll say it is. We'll say it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, like hyper-sentimentality, you know, and, and it flips easily. It's sort of like filling a water glass. It's full, 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 and now suddenly it's overflowing, and now we have a mess. So it's like as soon as you cross that threshold, you've got a song to clean up. And I think providing like a little bit of muscle, a little bit of grit in the production can help kind of um, – there's more honey around the medicine, you know, for a tender message. Now, Dessa, I want to talk about the impact Minnesota has had on your music. Your Minnesota roots are a big part of your career. You grew up in the Twin Cities. Uh, You're a part of Doomtree, the Minneapolis Rap Collective, uh, since 2005. How did those Minnesota roots show up in Bury the Lead? Yeah, I do think that working in Minneapolis, which has a really... Um, like robust and vibrant underground music scene. It makes it possible to go to a bunch of shows, hear a lot of stuff, personally connect with other musicians, and admittedly without a lot of like mitigating agents or managers, right? You have those people's numbers in your phone, you know, by their names. And I think in th- that way, with that kind of network that isn't um, mediated by a lot of major labels, you do find that some of the partitions between genres soften. So in Minnesota, like I didn't realize it was weird to have really mixed bills um, before I left Minneapolis, meaning like, you know, you have a a punk act, you have a hip hop act, you might even have like a weird experimental choir act in the same night. And then we tried to do that in Chicago and somebody got hit by a beer. (laughs) So (laughs) 
so um, I hadn't realized quite how relaxed that kind of um, that th- those distinctions between disciplines and sounds were in that city. And I think that's part of its character. Well, we got this email from Mitch who says, I'm a longtime Dessa listener and I'm always impressed by raw talent. If I was stranded on an island and had one album to have with me, it would be Sound the Bells with the Minnesota Orchestra. It always gives me goosebumps. How did that project come about? Oh, man. Um, I was invited by Grant Meacham, who's at the Minnesota Orchestra, to say, hey, you know, we don't, orchestras don't usually do this, but we're thinking about putting on a show that features local talent. You know, I'm a Minneapolis, Minnesota kid. And would you be game to put on an evening of music with us? And that was such like a, an unexpected email. Yeah, truly, like almost like is this spam? And, and saying yes to that I think has really helped me expand the parameters of what I think is possible. You know, playing, playing with a lot of people who have skills that I will never have and almost strain understanding these virtuosic players – but finding that they were game to ask questions about my craft too, you know, I was I was a little bit apprehensive about, um, yeah, being perceived as like outside the academy. You know what I mean? I don't read yeah. music. I don't I don't really understand the rules of the game. When to bow, I have to be instructed a little bit about some of the decorum and the rules here. And they were so like, yo, how are you breathing? You know what I mean? <laughs> and and if you don't read music, how are all these singers singing in harmony? And so we got to geek out and like share notes on, you know, like the little intricacies of craft that were mutually interesting. And I got like a, the violist, uh-huh. violinist and bassist to all show me on my forearm, like to pretend that I was the neck of their instrument and they would fret against my flesh just so I could feel like how hard those people have to press, like super strong hand strength. And similarly, I think they were really interested to know, like, what is the relationship between rapper and hype man? You know, how does these uh-huh. backup vocals work? It was really rad. It was really, really sweet. So we put out a, a record together, as your listener mentions, called Sound the Bells. What, what, what you're describing... In Minnesota, and, and you, you said it very eloquently, is this sort of fluidity between genres, between musicians. How does that inform how you think about what you, I don't know a better word to use than owe, what you owe to that music mm. community, especially for younger musicians who are coming up? Yeah, I think, okay, so I'll be real forthright in that I think I'm still figuring that out. So that for me is a very living question. But I think I have been the beneficiary of a lot of um, cultural practices or just habits that I then didn't have to invent. So like when we were starting out and I was just stoked that this group I admired so much, Doomtree, you know, said, will you, will you join? You know, I mean, if we had a chaining day, that was it, right? I was so stoked. Called my mom, you know, it was like on a midnight of a Tuesday evening that they asked me in. And it was just built in and baked into the culture that part of the things you do is like, okay, now we're doing – it's getting cold. Minnesota gets super cold. Uh, it's December or it's or it's November. We're going to do the coat drive. And now here's the like get out the vote thing. So I didn't have to like sit down and do a hard accounting of like what constitutes mutually beneficial reciprocity and civic and art engagement because I think it really is built into the hip-hop culture in a way that I can't take – credit for in a way that's special too. I I do think that hip hop is, you know, historically made for 
and made by and concerned with the issues of marginalized people. And so, you know, I had a middle class come up, but that's built into the culture. Um, yeah. And mm. for the better all the way around, I think. Well, you have this to say about your newest album, Bury the Lead. Quote, it's about indulging in a measure of hedonism, even as the threat on the horizon mounts. For you, what is that threat on the horizon? What were you working through? Mm. I mean, I do think that you could almost spin the roulette wheel and be like, today's threat on the horizon <laughs> is. But, but I think that in our current era, the concerns about even like climate change, about polarization in America, um, and that's like before the you're worried about like are you personally getting a divorce is your sister going to be okay how comes how come mom isn't walking as steady as she used to right i think that being born seated with the intelligence that we are means that we are a mortal creature who knows about the mortal part which is already a built-in angst right like this is a finite project of being alive that's stressful and i think at this point in culture with you know the 24-hour news stream and communication being what it is like every time there's a crisis we know about it you know or we know about it pretty shortly so there really are no shortage of fonts of anxiety um i do think though that like the way that kind of escapism art works which is valuable that's not the only way to do it so i think the idea of like turning on your body doesn't have to mean turning off your head and I think you can make an intelligent hedonism that asks your mind to participate in the project at hand. Oh, huh. okay. I got to think about that for a second. I have to think about that for a second because I think in our culture, we are often so disconnected from, from our bodies, um, sometimes from our, our heads too, <laughs> but certainly not always working, you know, in concert with one another. What is that? What does it feel like for you mm-hmm. when you make that connection? What What do you feel? Yeah, I mean, so to, you know, to put it in like super concrete terms with this album, I think it's like you can have a danceable beat, a chorus that's sing alongable with that doesn't. That is accessible without being pandering, right? I think the lowest common denominator is set way too low. I think we underestimate audiences a lot. I think also even just like, I mean, to speak to someone else's talent, I'm no B-girl, but like watching a break dancer when they have a really great routine where they just flex really, really hard on just athleticism, but it's also full of almost like pantomime. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. They, yeah, they've got an invisible weapon. That, you know, they've stolen your baby. They've rocked it to sleep. They've run <laughs> it over in their car. Like, it's, there is an intelligence that is both imaginative, playful, performative, and just smart in addition to the athleticism. And I think like that entire divide that you just identified, like mind and body, that's still like a vestigial hangover from Rene Descartes, right? Who says that the two are different. Like we could have had a different view on what sort of creature we are. And we decided to draw the line of bisection at our neck. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break here. Back with more in just a moment. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, 
just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. Listening to ASMR. I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Let's get back to Dessa. Katie emails, my favorite album to get through difficult times is Hosier's Wasteland Baby. Much like Dessa, Hosier nails the balance between acknowledging pain and finding hope for beauty to be found within and beyond that pain. And Maureen emails, I loved Dessa's collaborations with Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I was in attendance at her Minnesota orchestra show. What is her next dream collab? Just shout out to Hosier. Take me to church. I remember hearing that the first time, like losing my mind. Um, okay, next collaborations. So I think, you know, my, my record comes out in two days. So I admit that right now it's like, it's sort of like um, manually starting an old lawnmower. I'm just like pulling on the thread. You're trying to get this thing out in the world. <laughs> Come on, baby. Come, Come on. on, baby. Yeah, exactly. Don't do this to me. No, now. But I think getting that thing up, running and and out into the wild is the project at hand. But after that, like, you know, I've also really enjoyed writing for the page or for the stage in a monologue form. So starting to incorporate that into my live show, you know, we're getting ready for the tour for this record, um, which stops in in most major cities on the east and west coast and and in the middle, the north, and figuring out how to present it in a way that feels like a concert and has room for some discussion on these ideas. You know, a little bit of monologue on culture, too. Let's hear another song from the album. This is Rothko. We choose which fools to I was really curious about these lyrics. We choose which fools to suffer. Tell me the story <laughs> behind this song. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if this... I think this is a generational thing. That my grandmother and some of her sons would sometimes say, like, um, you know, if somebody else, if they were really headstrong and, and self-assured, they'd say, you know, 
Jen White doesn't suffer fools, you know, or Jen right. White doesn't, doesn't suffer fools gladly. And I think as most of us have gone about our business and our personal lives, every once in a while, a fool is just so charismatic and handsome that you are willing to suffer him for a while. <laughs> it's like and, just, just for a week. Just we'll for a week. a week. And sometimes you're that fool, you know, that, that we make compromises and concessions in the interest of having communion with other people because we have to because we are all fundamentally imperfect and so setting the threshold on what you're willing to tolerate to feel loved to feel liked to be part of community and knowing that people are setting that threshold on you too yeah that there's a that there's it's worth it but there's a cost to connection to pay you've done you've done so much I said you're you're a singer, you're a writer, you have a podcast, you guest host on this show from time to time. You don't fill your time up at all. I'm sure you've got hours and hours where you're just sitting around. But I'm I'm wondering about where all of those things intersect for you. Is mm. it just is it curiosity or is it is it something else that you know, if I was looking at the Venn diagram of Dessa, what would be in the center? I think most Maybe not all, but the vast majority of it intersects on language. Like, I think before I knew, when I was five, and before you really even know what routes would be available to you, like, vocationally, I knew I loved language, and I knew that more than anything, I loved it when I heard. My dad was was an artist. My mom is in language. And I loved when they would have a couple of friends over, and you could tell that there was just, like, a really good volley going you know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody with dry humor. And it's like verbal ping pong or something. You know, he's got spin on the ball and people are returning serves that you thought would get right by him. And I loved that. I think for me, conversation was the first f- form of like verbal and a verbal endeavor that wasn't just transactional. Like this is art as much as it is anything. It's not an art that we are usually compensated for in our culture, with the possible exception of you and me. Too. You know, unless you're in a radio person. But I think, I think conversation, the conversational arts were my first, like, big love. And then after Fallen, you figure out, like, okay, well, what do you do for rent? You know, you, you, you write a book or you put on a little play or maybe you even pen a sad choral song about Mark Rothko. We got this email from Victor who... Um I know you said you're you're just trying to get this this album out the door, but Victor emails Dessa is obviously intelligent, thoughtful, and kind. When will she run for office? We need people like her. I Thoughts, am, Dessa. Thoughts? I am so soft. I I wouldn't last twelve hours. Like this, I would be under the stump at my first stump speech with a broken heart. I'm too sensitive. But but I mean, you just in in. Talking to you and, and getting to know you over the last, I guess, year and a half or so, you're you're resilient. I mean, it, it takes you know it takes the resilience to, I think, to challenge yourself the way you have and to be willing to take the the types of risks you've taken. And so, yeah, you, you don't know, don't be too hard on yourself. Thanks, you know. And I would say, I mean, all like, um. Yeah, I'll joking aside for a second. Even just the way I think it works to be a woman in media now, I'm sure you've got some weird DMs. Oh, and yeah. I do too. You're right. There is a degree of resilience that's necessary just to be in the public sphere. So thanks for that. And thanks, Victor. Well, we'll leave it there. Dessa's new album is Bury the Lead. She's a rapper, singer, writer, and podcast host and all around. Just fabulous human. Dessa, thanks so much for speaking with us. This was great. Thanks for having me on. 
Today's producer was Arfi Getty. And thanks to the whole team here at KUNC for hosting us. Special thanks to Desmond O'Boyle, Andrew Bodker for engineering. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month.